Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? In this episode, I talked with my old friend, Sean McConkie, who's the Chief Operating Officer for U.S. Operations at Carclo Technical Plastics. Sean and I talked about the importance of character and citizenship. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and I'm thrilled to have Sean McConkie with us for this episode. Sean is the Chief Operating Officer of U.S. Operations for Carclo Technical Plastics, a globally recognized provider of technical solutions to the medical industry. I should say Sean and I have been close personal friends since the seventh grade. And Sean is a seasoned operations professional with over 20 years of leadership experience, leading and serving multiple disciplines, including manufacturing, engineering, human resources, quality, logistics, and supply chain management. Sean's experience spans multiple industries, including medical, automotive, aerospace, military, commercial, and consumer goods. Sean McConkie, welcome to The Indispensables. Bruce, thank you so much. I appreciate that intro. It's, it's really an honor to participate in this. Thanks again for that. And uh, uh, Sean uh, and I, for full disclosure, we go way back, like I said, to the seventh grade. We went all through high school together. We even went to uh, college in the same town. And, um, uh, and I'm going to add, uh, I have you here, Sean, uh, not just because of your career, uh, but because of your character. Uh, you've always been somebody I've admired uh, because of the way you conduct yourself, the way you show up, the way you treat people. Uh, you, you're, you're an Eagle Scout. You are a, a person who, whose example uh, rings out for anyone who knows you. And so the first thing I want to ask you about is what I call building real influence. And uh, when I talk about real influence, I, I'm talking about building relationships based on serving others in the short term, but with the long term in mind, uh, prioritizing and, and doing the right things for the right reasons. Uh, I, when I think of people of real influence, uh, you're one of the people who comes to mind. How, how have you built real influence over the course of your career? Wow, again, thank you so much for, the, for those kind words, Bruce. Um, you know, I'll just kind of take take it from there with respect to what you talked about my character. I think that's first and foremost in building influence with, uh, with anyone is modeling the kind of behaviors that people will look up to. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. Uh, another element of influence is, is dialogue. You're not going to influence anybody outside of you know, having true meaningful dialogue with them. And, and last you mentioned uh, service to others, you know, as, uh, you work to help others achieve their goals, they often will do the same to reciprocate for, for you. So um, behaving appropriately, modeling the right behaviors, uh, engaging meaningful dialogue with people, and uh, genuinely serving their interests, uh, I think are that's three of the key elements to influencing others. 
know, I'll add, you know, when you want to influence someone, it's really about trying to, to build a genuine connection with them. Um, yeah, I, I like to refer back to uh, a great train metaphor that I once uh, learned and I like to use a lot. Uh, it goes like this. So if you're a locomotive and want to move the train over a mountain, it's imperative to hook up with that train or you're going over the mountain alone. The hookup or connection is essential to garnering enrollment and influencing behaviors. Uh, so you know, influence is about people making a choice to follow. And as you said earlier, it's not not something that's forced or coerced or manipulated. Uh, you don't barter for it or, or buy it. Uh, they have to enlist in it. And to get them there, you need to make that, uh, that personal emotional connection with them. Yeah, I had uh, 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 another guest on who was talking about the difference between gaining compliance and gaining commitment. And it sounds like the connection you're talking about goes to that issue. Well, absolutely. With any with anything you want to influence, you have to have a relationship. You have to build that relationship. You know, I'll go back to you know, having personal integrity, having a style that's approachable and respectful, uh, demonstrating competencies in subject area that you're looking to influence. All of those things um, you know, are important. If the person or persons you're looking to influence don't regard you as a person having um, positive intentions and you know, uh, high integrity, uh, you're not even going to get into the conversation with them. Uh, so modeling those behaviors is important. In, in the dialogue, one of the things you really want to focus on is win-win solutions. Um, show people that you care about them, their ideas, their, what concerns them. Uh, open the, you know, have an open mind in the conversation. If people realize that you don't have an open mind and it's all about your own agenda, uh, then they won't meet you halfway or, or even listen at all. So you have to have a history of listening, looking for win-win solutions. Uh, it's through mutual gains, that shared understanding, um, that some shared action arises from that and you can motivate people to do things that you uh, want them to do. You know, I want to ask you about your perspective on character. Sometimes when I talk about character, when I try to shine a bright light on someone like you, your character, you know, I think some people, they, they almost, they can't believe it. It's like, they think, are these real people? Or, you know, is it just a slogan or is it just a put on? And, and I'm always trying to, I always want to ask people like you, because I know, I mean, I've known you since you were 12 years old, right? I know that character, it, it's so authentic with you. What, what drives that? Where does that come from? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with you know, certainly my, uh, my upbringing. You mentioned that I was an Eagle Scout. So spending so much time growing up and in, in, um, you know, being involved in scouting uh, was uh, a great influence for me in terms of building character and, and leadership skills. Uh, so that was a, a big part of it that, that really helps drive my, uh, my desire to, to maintain a you know, high level of integrity and, and character. You know, it really comes down to doing what you say you're going to do, uh, having good and honorable intentions, being transparent, following through on commitments. 
But, but Sean, do you think like, are people born with that or uh, is it a matter of faith? What I wonder is that some people, they, they don't seem to believe in those values at core and some people do. And I don't know, like, is it something you can teach? Did you learn, you know, did somebody teach you that? No, I don't know if it's something that's taught. You know, certainly the behavior modeling that I talked about, you know, if you have good role models, it's, it's that's an important part of it. But uh, I think that you, you can um, set people up for success uh, in, in this area. And I'll give you an example. I'll go back to back in, in grade school. I had, I had a fourth grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. O'Brien. And she had made a lasting impression on me um, one day in the classroom. It's, I recall back, it's been a while. There was a, uh, there was something was stolen in the class. I don't remember what it was, but there was uh, something missing in the class. And the teacher asked, you know, who had it, who took it. And of course, nobody in you know, fourth grade, nobody raised their hand and said, I've got it, it's right here. So what she asked the class, what she inquired of the class was that everybody missed their recess until somebody brought forward that missing object. I think it was a, a classmate who had lost something or, or somebody took something from her. Uh, in any event, I was out the day that um, everyone had to miss their recess. And the next day I came back, I must have been out sick or something. Uh, the next day I came back and learned that the whole class had to miss their recess. So when it was time for uh, everybody to go out at recess, of course, nobody had yet confessed. And uh, when it was time for people to go out for recess, I sat in my chair, waiting really for the teacher to acknowledge you know, whether I needed to go stay there or go out. She asked me, what was I doing? And I, and I said, well, I missed yesterday. Everybody else had to stay in. And, and I didn't because uh, I wasn't here. And uh you know, she she made uh, some references to me being one of the most honorable and honest kids that she had known. And she made references, of course, to me being in Scouts and how that uh, that was serving me well. And, and she you know, said, no, you go ahead, you go, I know it wasn't you, you go out and you enjoy the recess. I guess the point I'm getting here is that she set me up on a pedestal. She she gave me a reputation to live up to. And she spoke highly of my uh, honesty and my involvement with scouting uh, such, in such a way that I wasn't going to let her down ever and, you know, continued to be honest and, and almost to a fault, you know, so that I would never let her down. So, yeah, I think it's important to, to recognize people and set them up for success, give them a reputation to live up to, uh, and I think that can help shape character uh, a long way. You know, that's a beautiful story um, about Mrs. O'Brien in fourth grade. I love it. Uh, I've heard you tell that story before. It's it's and it, it's a story that works in so many different directions because, of course, for you, you had that experience of of having an older, more experienced person, a role model. Um, recognize your values, your ethics, your trying to live up to a high standard. But as you say, then she gave you a reputation to live up to. It's Dale Carnegie in the How to Win Friends and Influence People says that's something you can do for other people, uh, hold them up to a high standard, give them 
uh, uh, give them something to live up to. That's, uh, do you do that as a leader? Do you try to, to, to recognize, I mean, you're now a senior executive in a, a large complex organization. Is that one of the things you do as a leader? Oh yeah, absolutely. Every chance I have to recognize someone's contributions, uh, or even, even if I know they're capable and have potential, uh, again, you give them the reputation uh, even before they may have earned it, so to speak. I think sometimes that helps to, to uh, kind of motivate their uh, willingness or, or effort to, to live up to it. I, I know it works in business all of the time, and I can speak to a personal experience. When I worked at Hasbro, the same kind of thing just worked wonders on me and my team. Um, you know, when I was there, we were looking at companies investing a large, large amount of capital in automation, infrastructure improvements in the plant. We had very, you know, a lot of different departments competing for a limited uh, share of the capital. And I can recall the controller at the time awarding my team kind of a, a larger than fair share of the, of the capital because we had a reputation of you know, delivering on those uh, on our expectations, following through um, on the timeline of the project and delivering on the promised ROI. Uh, but what he did is he recognized us kind of in front of our peers and saying, hey, we're going to give you guys this additional capital because you know, you've had a history of delivering and we know it's going to be a sound investment. And same thing, put us on a pedestal, um, gave us a reputation to live up to. There was no way uh, either me or my team were going to let this controller down um, after he said those kind of words to us. We were willing to move mountains to follow through on our commitments and not let this guy down. Uh, so I know I know how firsthand how well how effectively that type of thing works. Yeah, it's 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 really um, powerful, especially when it's authentic. It's 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 an aspirational way to treat people, um, and it's sort of a corollary of uh, Greg Langell from Episode Six, who's uh, my friend and um, uh, old client, uh, and he says um, that you should practice being the person you want to be. And I think some people, though, it really helps if a leader helps them set those aspirations about who, who should you want to be? How should you want to be? What, what, you know, uh, helping somebody see a better self that they can be. Um, so you mentioned Hasbro. Uh, tell me about um, Hasbro. I know you, for, for, for those who are not familiar with Hasbro, great company that makes lots of stuff, in, including uh, toys and games, right? And, uh, uh, and you have a metaphor you use uh, for the old game Connect Four. Can, can, you, can you share that metaphor? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, there's several several game metaphors that uh, I've shared all of them with you. I'm happy to uh, now. Back, back in the day when I worked at Hasbro, I led a team to research employee engagement in the factory. And we did all kinds of surveys and focus groups and um, had you know, numerous conversations with employees about what engages them, what doesn't engage them, um, and also you know, what action items can we take as a company to, to bridge the gap and, and you know, get more people engaged. But in any event, there were, there were four, key, four key factors 
that emerged as drivers of engagement. And the first was alignment. Uh, second was accountability. Third was growth. And the fourth was rewards. Uh, so I had an, an analogy or a metaphor for each one of them. Alignment, which is crucial, uh, is a, I know you like to say up, down, sideways, diagonal. It's absolutely crucial um, in organizations uh, to succeed. And the, the metaphor that I use for alignment was the game Connect Four. So uh, the four checkers um, had, to, had to align either up and down, sideways, or diagonal to win the game. Uh, so each of those checkers represented one uh, form of alignment in the, in the organization. So the first was alignment between um, the employee and the organization. That's the first checker. This includes having an understanding, actually by both parties, of the company's mission, the vision, the values, the goals. Um, what do they look like in regards to what each person has to do each and every day on their job to, to deliver on those, that mission? Uh, what are some of the things that I can do um, to contribute to the organization's broader goals and success? So that's the first chapter. The second checker was alignment between you and your supervisor. And this was achieved through, usually through regular, ongoing, one-on-one communication about the goals and expectations um, and about how the supervisor might be able to uh, support you in your endeavors to achieve those goals. So there had to be great alignment between employees and their supervisors. So the third checker is alignment between the employee and the job. This is about aligning to the goal that you need to play in order to meaningfully contribute to the, the larger scope of work or project. So that's the third checker. And then, of course, the fourth checker is between uh, employees and their peers. Before you start doing any project, you have to know who's going to be responsible for what, who needs to support whom, who's going to take ownership of each step, each step of, along the way in the project. Uh, so being as explicit as possible about uh, you know, who's doing what and, and who's got certain strengths that we can leverage. Um, if someone has a weakness, how do we compensate for that and um, help them through that? So those are the four checkers. Uh, alignment between you and the organization, you and your supervisor, you and your job, and you and your peers. I love that. And, and I appreciate you going into uh, uh, detail on that metaphor. I, I remember Connect Four. I remember, remember there was a TV ad where the, and the girl says, Connect Four. And, and her brother says, where? And she says, diagonal. And the kid says, pretty sneaky, sis. Do you remember that? I do, yes. But uh, so, so in the real world, I think alignment is so important. And, and so often when you see unnecessary mistakes, when you see resources squandered, when you see people go in the wrong direction, when you see low performers able to hide out, high performers get frustrated, managers can't delegate, when you see people are overcommitted, so often what's really going on there is there's a lack of alignment. And, and, you know, as, as a management consultant, easy for me to come in and say, oh, there's a lack of alignment. But as a leader who's in the thick of it day to day, how do you ensure that those four dimensions of alignment are in place? Well, I think with anything, you have to, you have to immerse yourself into um, where it is, whatever it is you're working on or trying to accomplish. You have to follow up. You know, I, I've heard the phrase leadership is a contact sport. I can't remember who said it, but, uh, 
uh, is so true. Uh, you have to be involved. Communication is the key uh, to effective alignment. If you don't communicate effectively your mission, your vision, your values, your goals, how do people know what they're working toward? Uh, if you don't make explicit the uh, you know, whose roles and responsibilities are what, you're going to have people pointing fingers back and forth saying, I don't know who was supposed to do that. You have to lay it all out very explicitly. And I think that's, that's the key is follow up and immerse yourself, be involved. Um, it's not a bystander sport. It's a, it's a contact sport. Contact, uh, communication, follow up. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you probably have to be relentless about, uh, about ensuring all of that every step of the way. Well, yeah, you know, so I mentioned earlier that uh, employee engagement kind of project or research that we did at the plant, you know, alignment was the first thing that was necessary to drive engagement. The second thing was accountability. So to make sure that all of this stuff is happening, you have to have uh, means to to measure or assess accountability and, and, and drive that. You know, so this, the second metaphor for Hespo's games, you know, a lot of people will think you know, accountability, that would be the game trouble, right? The problematic trouble. Yeah, I remember that game. Yeah, it's not. The accountability isn't about getting people in trouble. It's about perfection. So that was the second metaphor was perfection. Uh, striving to achieve perfection uh, amongst your team. So, you know, accountability meant holding one-on-ones with people. We already talked about you know, making goals and expectations very explicit, following up to see where there's gaps, adjusting, monitoring, measuring, adjusting performance as needed, things of that nature. It, it's, um, you know, it's a process. It's not, you know, someone getting in trouble. It's a process of trying to improve and, and strive for that, uh, that ultimate goal of, uh, of succeeding or perfecting uh, what you're trying to do. And one of the things I know is one of your signatures, and I see this uh, among uh, leaders uh, who are at your level, but but you also see it among really uh, sharp up and comers. Uh, it's it's something I always look for, and and it's it's people who they stop and take notes all the time. Um, you know, and it, and it sends such a powerful message that you're engaged. It sends such a powerful message that you're, that you're paying attention. And, and when somebody talks to you and start taking notes, right. I mean, it's, it sends such a powerful signal that you, that, that, that they matter, that what they're saying matters, that you're tuning into what they're saying. Uh, can you speak about that as a, as a habit? Cause I know for you, it's not just a gesture. You're not performing, taking notes. You actually take notes. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. For for me, first and foremost, it's it's a uh, it's a sign of respect. So if someone is is asking you to do something or speaking, if it's important enough for them to to say to ask, it ought to be important enough for me to write down, make sure that I got it correct, that I can refer back to it without having to follow up with them and say, hey, what did you say uh, yesterday in that in that meeting? Uh, that never looks good. That's that's disrespectful. So I always found taking notes as a sign of respect that tells the speaker um, that I value what you have to say and I'm going to document and, and follow through. So that's first and foremost for me. The second thing is if I'm, let's say I'm in a one-on-one with uh, with a direct report, 
I want to take copious notes about you know what was agreed on in our meeting. So you know, I'm going to I'm going to list all of the, the ex- very explicitly the things we talked about, what we agreed on. Actually, refer to them as as agreements. So that you know, in two weeks when I follow up, or a month, or whatever it might be, when I follow up on that uh, on that person, I can refer back to what we agreed on two weeks ago, and ask them to you know, to talk about their progress, or where where they're at, you know, did they follow through on their commitments, what gaps they have, and, and we can not worry about hey, I thought this is what we agreed on versus that. We can focus now purely on what do we need to do to close the gap. I, I and I keep my notebooks. So I carry a little five by seven book around, and I've probably got dozens of them in boxes that, believe it or not, I refer back to them. I all remember. Yeah, I had this I had this situation two years ago. I step back through my notebooks and and find it and say, oh yeah, this is what we did back then. Yeah, and for the younger, less experienced people who are listening. Um, you really mean a notebook, right? With uh, pieces of dead tree stitched together and then a stick, <laughs> a stick with ink in it that you make squiggly lines that you can later recognize as words, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a bound notebook and uh, it's, it's contemporaneous. It's as we speak, I'm writing and um, you know, capturing what we agree on or what I hear. Sometimes there are things that, like I said, there are agreements between direct reports and other times it's just me learning something new and, and wanting to absorb as much as I can and, and call it later on. Yeah. And I love what you say that it's, it's a sign of respect, but it's not just a gesture, right? It's, it's, you really are interacting with someone in a way that magnifies uh, the importance of what they're saying. It, you're enacting the taking in of the information, you're, you're learning more from what they're saying by not just hearing it, but by writing it down. It gives you a way to, to check for clarity of understanding. Um, and so it, it's not just showing respect. It is, it is being respectful. Absolutely. And, and, and then it, and then it's a tool for you to make reference to later to continue to manage um, the multiple competing priorities you have. Yeah, it absolutely influences accountability because as folks see that I'm writing things down and very explicit about it, and you know, we'll recite it back to them. For instance, at the end of a end of a conversation, uh, they know it's, it's a documented commitment, and they tend to they tend to focus more on on delivering uh, on those agreements because it is written down. Yeah, and it's it's not just because oh well now they've made a contemporaneous record which serves as a reasonably strong form of evidence, <laughs> but <laughs> and will be a tool for you uh, to to check up on them later. But but also when you're somebody who treats people with respect and the thing treats the things they say as important enough to write down, um, it makes you somebody other people don't want to disappoint. I mean, you may be no Mrs. O'Brien, but still. <laughs> That's true. And I think uh, you know, one thing that I, that I should also mention is that, let, let's face it, I can't remember everything in my head anyway. I've got 13 direct reports. so And, and that's been the case not just in this job, but in many other jobs I've had you know, upwards to a dozen direct and, and matrix reports along the way. 
and uh, it's very difficult to remember everything that is said and um, you know agreements that are made. And you have so many different uh, people that report into you, so many competing projects that you're working on. Um, they have to write things down. That way, things don't slip through the cracks. Yeah, and I think uh, related to that, I know you um, you know uh, one of my chapters in the book is about working smart, and so many people say, "Oh, well, work smart." Well, you know, and what does that mean? And uh, it means, you know, different things to different people. One of the things I love about about the way you conduct yourself, the way you operate, is um, you're not afraid to learn in plain sight. You're 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 not just a lifelong learner, uh, but you 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 make it clear that you're not afraid to learn in front of others. That you and I think it it comes from being somebody who's smart enough and 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 studied enough that you know that the people who are really smart are the ones who are always learning. Uh, but but you've gone on and continued to to. Uh, take on new areas and add new areas of expertise to your repertoire. You know, we're still young, but we're not that young. And yet you're still learning every day. Is that one of the secrets of your success? It is. I think that, uh, you know, I'll go back to the word immersive experiences. You know, I started out as an industrial engineer and by its very nature, industrial engineering is all about trying to find out ways to work smarter, faster, better. Uh, to help others work smarter, faster, better, and use those same principles in your own work. So I've just, I'm programmed to do that. But, you know, it's important to, to immerse yourself into something, become an expert in something. At least initially in your career, you want to be uh, a subject, regarded as a subject matter expert in, in some area. Uh, and then leverage that expertise in uh, what I'll just call adjacencies, you know, start broadening your, your scope of expertise into logical adjacencies and, and build from there. Uh, but all of them, whether it's the initial specialization or even those adjacencies, if you want to be taken seriously, you really have to immerse yourself into the field and uh, develop some subject matter expertise. Uh, otherwise, you're really not in a good position to influence anybody. Uh, in those areas. So that's important. So let me ask you something because, uh, you know, as an engineer, um, for example, which is a, a area of great technical uh, learning is required. Um, it's in a area where one's technical knowledge can become obsolete over time. And as one moves up the chain of command, maybe you get uh, further away from the day-to-day technical details of the work. I, I think that's that's an experience I've, I've watched many engineering leaders have. So how do you balance that, the need to have 13 direct reports, the need to be able to uh, operate at an at executive level with your executive colleagues, make business decisions, run large, complex organizations, do budgeting? And where does the, I mean, how much do you need to maintain your technical expertise, on, uh, say, when it comes to the engineers? Yeah, that's a good, good point and uh, certainly a good question. As you get further and further away from the hands-on work, uh, over time you will lose you know, that, uh, uh, that expertise, if you will. Uh, and that's okay. I think uh, as, as I've matured in my career, uh, it became less about you know, being that engineer and making those 
changes you know, on the floor or uh, being a hands-on person to influencing others to do that uh, instead. Um, you can't you can't be everything for everybody. So um, you, you want to surround yourself with people who like to learn, who want to be the subject matter experts, who want to make the impression, who, who want to do those things that uh, you once did when you were the engineer, so, so to speak. Um, now my role is more about coaching, uh, providing direction, making sure that. There's proper alignment and understanding what the goals are, um, making sure that people have the right resources and support they need to be successful. Um, of course, you need to know a little bit about the details of engineering. Um, you won't forget all of it, uh, but it's more about listening and supporting uh, and leading at this stage. Yeah, so people ask me sometimes, and, and I think you're in a really good position to, to answer this, um, that how do you handle that when the people who are reporting to you or sometimes the people who are reporting to the people who are reporting to the people who are reporting to you um, have more actual technical expertise? So uh, d- does that put you at a disadvantage or, or do you have enough or, or do you just have to have enough technical expertise and understanding and then the rest of it is wisdom or how, how do you how do you um, how do you know if what people are telling you is is valid and so on? Yeah, well, you got to hire the right people and make sure that they all again aligned with the uh, you know, what they need to do, what the expectations are, things are explicit, um, and you need to trust. So, yeah, I've got I've got a tooling engineer that works for me that there's no way I'll ever learn all the intricacies of uh, tooling like this gentleman knows. Um, but I know enough about it to make sure that you know when he or she comes to me. Uh, with direction, I can recognize whether they're being truthful or not. Uh, you have to trust them uh, or ask very good questions uh, if there's something that you know, there may be some doubt in your mind. And, uh, and of course, you're always learning new stuff. I know uh, at uh, some point in your career, you decided to uh, uh, learn about human resources, and now you're learning about supply chain management. And uh, so is it, it's never ending. Yeah, you know, that's an, that's an interesting uh, career path. I think a lot of people ask me about that. How'd you go from engineering to managing to human resources, supply chain? Um, you know, those were, again, those logical adjacencies. Uh, I can recall the back of my days at Hasbro. Um, you know, the industrial engineering uh, and, and in working on improving methods and implementing lean practices and automation out in the field um, helped me to uh, get recognized and, and eventually was a springboard to getting a role as a manager of our injection molding department. And there it became less about engineering, you know, implementing all of this these nice neat technologies uh, or changing methods. It became more about influencing behaviors, uh, ensuring that people were working safely, ensuring that the results were high-quality product going out the door, and making sure that it was happening on time. 
I had to then learn about partnerships and collaboration and influencing. Uh, was a back in those days. It was a very, very just to call it a challenging environment with a very strong union. Uh, so you know, there were certain disciplines you had to follow when working within the bounds of a collective bargaining agreement. You couldn't just do what you wanted and people were going to do what you said. You had to influence. You had to demonstrate to the union that, hey, this change that we're proposing is beneficial to the union as well as the company. There had to be win-win uh, solutions proposed. Um, and so influence became an important part of my role. Um, so that's why I started to study industrial and organizational psychology to learn about influence and learn about how to engage employees um, in their common goals. Uh, and all of that study really drove a fascination for human resources. So you're not just, you're not just expanding your repertoire, but you're 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 building you're building yourself up, but you're also building other people up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also investing in your own learning. So you're you're as they're developing new uh, expertise, as they're expanding their own repertoire of specialties, uh, you're going right along with them. Right, right, and, and it paid off. Um, we had you know, some tremendous. We saw some tremendous improvements in our on-time delivery performance at this one company. So yeah, this certainly made 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 a difference. So uh, as we uh, start to move toward wrapping up, I want to ask you uh, if you can explain uh, or, or say a few words about this model, the integrity style competence model. I think it's, it's, it's really um, uh, powerful. Yeah, just briefly recap. So you know, integrity, it's all about your intentions. What you say you're going to do, making sure that you do follow through on them, uh, your style being straightforward, respectful, being approachable by people, um, caring about what others think and, and uh, what their concerns are, and, of course, the competence. Um, having some knowledge, skills, and abilities in the areas that you're looking to influence. When you think about it, all of those things, integrity, style, competence, they make up a person's character, if you will. They speak to a person's credibility. Um, and you know, that's, you know, go back to, you know, if you want to influence someone, those things are important, getting you in the door, um, getting, you know, opening the door of a rapport or relationship with somebody. You don't have those prerequisite, uh, um, characters, if you will, then people aren't going to take you seriously. Um, but it takes more than just being, having high integrity and, and, having a good style that's approachable and being competent. You need to have you know, what's referred to as this um, is reciprocity, you know, where um, you have a genuine willingness to listen to others with an open mind, develop a history of trusting other people, being trusting of other people begets, begets trustworthiness. You don't trust someone, they're, they're not likely to trust you back as well. Uh, you know, so reciprocity isn't about quid pro quo. Hey, I'm going to do this for you if you do that for me. Uh, it really is just about creating that what, uh, what, what I call a personal emotional connection with others who you're looking to 
uh, who are looking to lead or influence. And when others recognize your your character, when they recognize your willingness to uh, to serve them, to listen to them, to to trust them, uh, then they'll go out of their way uh, to deliver on your needs as they see those needs come up. Uh, people tend to do more for people who they have a strong personal emotional connection with. You like people more if they make you feel good. You know, if they've got good uh, a good character, good good uh, integrity and credibility. But what I love about this is, of course, you're not talking about making best friends with everyone at work. You're not talking about playing politics with everyone at work. Uh, and to use the concept personal emotional connection, even with your work colleagues, um, it, you know, some people would say, well, well gee, what, you know, emotional connection? What do you mean? But 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 really what you're just you're you're being explicit about recognizing that you're a human being and they're human beings and that people do have feelings and that when you treat people uh with respect when you when you treat people in a way that's that's reciprocal this is sort of i I like where we're ending up because we're going back to the beginning you're sort of uh true to your engineering background you're sort of reverse engineering what is character what is influence what is what is it made up of and, and the ingredients are integrity, style, and competence, uh, and building that connection through reciprocity. I, 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 I like that. I think it's, it's, um, I, I think you've successfully reverse, uh, engineered, uh, character. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce. I, I think if, if you're someone who listens and works in the best interest of others, then they're definitely going to reciprocate. Again, it's not the quick pro quo kind of arrangement. It's just, uh, they've developed an emotional connection with you, and they're in a position now where they're not going to want to let you down because they don't want to tarnish that uh, that rapport that you've developed. Yeah, it's 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 holding people to a high standard. It's it's the Mrs. O'Brien rule, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hold their feet to the fire, no doubt, but provide them the support and resources that they need to succeed. Fantastic, uh, Sean McConkey. Thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Bruce, it's been my pleasure. Thank you as well. In our next episode, I'll be interviewing Anissa Telwar, founder and CEO of Anissa International. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can learn more about GoToism and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking, by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong and be indispensable at work.